morning, everyone. Uh, really good to be here with you guys. My name is John Nimmers, for those of you who don't know me. And uh, um, let's just pray and uh, get our hearts ready for the word this morning. Glorious Father, I pray that this morning you would give the spirit of wisdom and of revelation of the knowledge of who you are to every single individual in this room this morning. Father, we're about to dive into concepts that are just so unbelievably huge and awesome. And left to ourselves, Father, we, we, we can't understand them. We can't, we can't glory in them. We can't give you praise for them. So, Father, open our eyes. Let, let us be able to see you for who you are. Let us be able to hear the words of your word. And, Lord, I just pray that you would do a miracle this morning. Miracles happen uh, on Sunday mornings when the word is being preached. So, Father, I pray that you would do that, Lord, in your son's name, amen. Uh, if you have a Bible, we are in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, and I'm just going to read this, and then uh, we'll get going here. Verse 7, Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives captive, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the same one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, that passage, I love that passage. It's a big passage. It's a deep passage. But it reminds me of an old story of the bricklayer. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard this one before, but... A man was walking on like a 95-degree day, and it's just unbelievably hot and miserable. And he sees this bricklayer, you know, doing this back-breaking work, and this guy just looks miserable, right? He, he's doing this back-breaking work. It's super hot, and he, he looks extremely angry. And so the man walks up to him, and he says, hey, I'm curious. You're laying all these bricks. What are you doing? And the guy just, you know, looks at him all gruff and angry, and he says, man, I don't know. I'm just laying this brick. I'm building this wall, I guess. The guy goes, oh, okay, fair enough. Keeps on going. 30 feet down, he sees another bricklayer. But this guy, 
He's smiling from ear to ear. You know the type of people, the the Todd Morrises up here that just can't help but just smile all the time, and it makes you a little suspect. What's going on? What are you smiling for? It's doing the same work. It's still hot. And so he asks him, hey, hey, what what are you doing? And the guy looks at him, smiles, and he says, I'm building a cathedral for the Almighty. I love that story. Because it illustrates how having a perspective on why you're working fills you with purpose while you're working. And uh, here's someone commentating on that famous story. He says this about the second bricklayer. He says, this man, this second bricklayer, he feels like he belongs. He comes to work to be a part of something bigger than the job he is doing. He does not see himself as any more or less important than the guy making the stained glass windows or even the architect. They are all working together to build the cathedral. Now, I mentioned that story because that really is the picture that Paul gives us for the church. The church is the body of Christ coming together to use their gifts as tools to build each other up so that we could put Jesus on display for the whole world and make him look absolutely glorious. But I'm going to guess that in this room, if you're Christians, which I'm assuming many of you are, not all of you, but many of you, um, that you you probably would say, yeah, I feel more like the first bricklayer than the second bricklayer, right? You're here. Thank you for being here. But you, you would say, I, I don't really know what I bring to the table. And even if I do know what I bring to the table, I actually don't see it all as all that purposeful. I don't see it as all that meaningful. And that's not true. So this morning, what I want to do in our text is I, I want to I zoom out. Okay, I want to, in our text, I want to zoom out to get God's big picture, his cathedral, if you will, um, give you that big picture. And then after we zoom out, I want to zoom back into the text and shed light on how your gifts are vital for the building up of, of God's cathedral, every single last one of you. So in a sense, I really just want to turn you into a bunch of really excited bricklayers, just really excited to lay some brick. Um, So let's do that. Look at verse 7. We're going to look at these first four verses, uh, and let's just get our our big picture here. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we're going to come back, again, when we zoom back in, we're going to come back and look at this in more detail. But I want you to notice the rabbit trail that Paul is about to take. Okay, this is totally Paul. This is so Paul. Whenever you read him, he's, you know, he's writing, he's just scribbling down. You can see the smoke coming off his pen. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, comes to Ephesians 4. And now, and now you guys, you, you must walk in a manner that is worthy, and, and he goes into detail. There's one God, there's, there's, there's one baptism, there, there's one faith. And then, and then he gets to verse 7, he says, and grace was given to each one of us. Oh, and then it's like he remembers. He's like, he's like Oh, yeah, that reminds me of Psalm 68.18. Let me tell you about that real quick. And so in verse 8, he quotes Psalm 68.18. He says, and when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives or took captivity captive in some of your translations. And he gave gifts to men. 
And then, classic Paul, he goes further down the rabbit trail. He goes, well, I, I mentioned the verse, so I got to explain it a little bit. <laughs> it keeps on going down. And, and so he says, and when he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, everyone and their grandmother, once they read these verses for the first time, they all say the same thing. What in the world are you talking about, Paul? Like, where are you going with this? And, and here's, here's where I think Paul's going. Paul takes us on this rabbit trail to, to draw our attention to all of redemptive history. You might be looking at these verses going, okay, I don't see that. Where do you see that? Well, look at the end of verse 10. Paul says, so that, in order that he might fill all things. If you have the NIV, it says that he might fill the whole universe. Or the NLT says he might fill the whole universe with himself. I love that paraphrase. That's a good, that's a good way to summarize it that he might fill the universe with himself. Now, when you first kind of hear that term, to fill all things, it might sound a little strange, but honestly, it shouldn't, because it's one of the most common themes throughout the entire Bible. Since the very, very beginning of the Bible, God's plan has always been to fill the world with himself, with his glory, with his presence. What did he tell Adam and Eve? He said, hey, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What did he tell Noah when he got off the ark? He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What did he tell Abraham? He told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to fill the earth with your children. Fill the earth. It's always been God's plan to fill the entire world with little God images people that worship this God because in God's mind, the earth, it's, it's his kingdom. He's the king. He, he's coming to reign. He will come to reign again. In the meantime, this is his plan to fill the entire earth. And the enemy of this plan has always been sin. Sin does not stop the plan, but it does slow the plan. And, and the enemy has always been sin and, and Satan and, and the demonic powers that are fighting against God's God's desire to fill the world with God worshipers. And so knowing this, verse 8, Paul quotes a prophecy from the Old Testament about a day when God himself, like a warrior, think battle, God himself, like a warrior, would descend down to earth, make war with earth, take his enemies captive, and then ascend back up into heaven victoriously, where he then could fill the entire world with his presence by sending them gifts, gifts to his, his people. And here, amazingly, and I'll just imagine reading this for the first time. You know your Old Testament as a, as a Jewish boy or girl, and all of a sudden you're reading Paul, and he says, that prophecy that you know about, that's about Jesus. That's about Jesus. The, the picture here, I think we got a picture. You've seen it before. The picture here is of a military parading their enemies through the city after defeating them in war. That's what's being pictured here. And Paul says it's Jesus. 
It's Jesus, the God-man, who, who humbled himself, as Philippians 2 says. He humbled himself when he left the heavenly places, the high places, and descended down to earth as a man. He became flesh, where on this earth, this Jesus, he would suffer and be persecuted, and he would die on a cross, and after he died, he would rise from the dead three days later. And when he rose, Jesus took captivity captive. Or a better way to put it, Jesus, he took captive what used to hold you captive. He took captive sin and Satan and all of the demonic and evil powers. And ultimately, he took captive death. This is all over scripture, but I'll give you one other verse that, that parallels this. Paul says in Colossians 2, 14 and 15, he says, this, that is our sinful debt, this Jesus set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now why? He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And just this morning, I was getting ready to come here. And I was listening to a song I'd never listened to before. And it's just beautiful lyrics. And it wrapped it up perfectly. I thought, I got to put that in the message. And, it, it, and, the, and the singer said this, How wonderful, how glorious our Savior's scars victorious. That's beautiful. And that's exactly what's happening here. And Paul says, Jesus, he descended, left heaven, come to earth. He died on a cross for your sins. His scars made him victorious. And, and after Jesus won his war on earth, in a sense, he ascended back up into heaven as a victorious warrior where he would fill the earth with his glory by sending the Holy Spirit to fill his people. And, and, within, that, and within the Holy Spirit, you have all of the spiritual gifts that come along with him, that, that, that God always intended to be the tools to build up the church. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples, when the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, we don't want you to go. Like, we, 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 don't, we want you to stay. Stay with us. And Jesus says, no, it, it's, it's to your advantage that I go, in, in John 16, 7. For if I do not go away, then the helper, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It was William Barclay who said, to Paul, the ascension of Jesus meant not a Christ deserted, but a Christ filled world. And it's true. And this is where we're at today in redemptive history that God is filling the world with his presence through gifting the Holy Spirit to anyone who would call on the name of Jesus to be saved. And so I have to ask, because this message is mainly directed to Christians. I have to take a moment and say, have you done this? Have you called on the name of Jesus to be saved? This is the entire point of the existence of everything, not just your existence. This is the entire point of the existence of the universe, is that God intends to reign, and he intends to reign and to have you be a part of it. But the way that that happens is if you look at your solution for your sin, which is Jesus, the one, the king who came down. 
died on a cross for your sins, ascended back up into heaven and says, I want to fill you with myself. I want to fill you with my spirit, the Holy Spirit, and gift you. But you have to believe. So ask yourself that question. Have you believed this? And if you have, if you're here and you're a Christian, um, then, then, then my charge to you at the beginning is just to take a step back and to see the big picture, see God's cathedral in all of this, and see that your gifts in this church, in Sailorville Church, are a part of something cosmically amazing. I mean, this is no small thing that you are a part of a church. You're a part of God's cosmic plan to fill the universe with his glory. That's amazing. So, it, it's, um, let's move on. Let's zoom in. Um, that's our zooming out. That's God's cathedral. Let's zoom in and see how your gifts are a part of this massive, massive purpose of God's. And the first thing I want you to see is that your gifts are uniquely put together. If you know Jesus, if you've been saved, you've been implanted, you've been sealed as we saw in Ephesians 1 earlier in this book, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and within the Spirit, he empowers you with these gifts And the first thing I want you to see is that those gifts are uniquely put together. So my wife and I, we moved into a house a couple years ago, and it's an older house, uh, and our neighbors told us that our house was on some magazine called The Better Homes and Garden. And and they were just amazed about that, and they kept on telling us that. And and I was 26 years old at the time, and when you tell a 26-year-old that their house is on Better Homes and Garden, you get the same reaction. You go, I don't know what that is. (laughs) I don't know what the Better Homes and Garden is. Um, Apparently, it just meant our house was cute. Uh, So, our house is cute. Um, And it is. It's it's a cool-looking house, and the one compliment we get more than anything is that our house is got roof, it's got, a, it's got walls, it's got stairs, it's got a floor, just like I'm assuming, hopefully, most of your houses do. But the difference is, the way that they are arranged is diverse and unique, and, and to, apparently, Better Homes and Garden, beautiful. And this is the picture that Paul is giving us. That's the idea of the makeup of the church. It is diverse, and it is beautiful. It is uniquely put together. It's not a cookie cutter thing. Here's what Paul says in verse 7. Look at verse 7 again. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, now the word each one is really a play on words because you remember from last week, the first six verses of Ephesians 4, you get all of this unified, non-diverse ones that Paul tells us. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And then he he shifts. He shifts his tune. He changes his tune. And he says, each one, each individual Christian has been given a gift that is unique to them. Here's how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied graces. Is varied. It, there's a variety going on here. I mean, just it, God. God loves diversity. All you got to do is just go walk in a forest somewhere. It's it's beautiful. You don't 
It would be very strange if you walked in a forest and every single tree looked the exact same, right? But you walk into a forest and there's something majestic going on there. You go, wow, this is beautiful and diverse. And so it is with God's church. He is building up a church that is unified within their own diversity. And I don't know about you, but I find that unbelievably comforting. I find that so comforting. I mean, just think about it, that your creator picked you up, you know, somehow, and, and as he's forming you together in your mother's womb, he's looking at you, and he's examining you, or as verse 7 says, he, he's, he's measuring you up, and he crafts together a specific gift for you to serve the church with. I love how John MacArthur pictures this. He pictures it as a paint palette, right? So it's not that you can picture, there it is. You can picture, it's not that we're all our individual colors, right? John's blue, Jeff is green, and poor Todd, he's yellow, you know. That's not, that's not what's going on here. God goes, no, 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 here's John. I'm going to take a little bit of yellow and take a little bit of this. I'm going to put it together here, and I'm going to craft what we saw earlier in Ephesians 2, a masterpiece. I'm going to craft a masterpiece. And just on a side note, for, for any of you who are struggling maybe this week with discouragement of thinking, I'm just a nobody, you go back and you look at verse 7, and you see God's masterpiece. That's how God sees you. God sees you. If you know him, you are his uniquely crafted masterpiece, and he, and he wants to use you in that way. And so I don't know about you, but I find that extremely encouraging. Um, but I do know that the number one question whenever you talk about gifts is always the question, yeah, but how do you know what your gift is? I don't know what my gift is. I was just talking to my friend the other day. He's a younger guy. He's over at my house. He asked me what I'm preaching on told him what I'm preaching on, and he says, that all sounds good, but I don't even know what my gift is, right? And so that's where a lot of people are at. And so let me just give you an acronym uh, that's been helpful for me and, and hopefully will be helpful for you, and hopefully it'll be easy to remember. It's SOAP, okay? So remember SOAP, S-O-A-P, SOAP. And here it is. S stands for spend time with God. Spend time with God. Now, think about this. The Holy Spirit is where you get your gifts from, okay? That's where your gifts are coming from. They're not oozing out of you because you're just such a talented person, right? It's the Holy Spirit who's actually giving you these gifts. So, so spending time with God, and the Holy Spirit is God, right? If you didn't know. Holy Spirit is God. So spending time with God through the studying of his word and through praying is, is probably the best way to find out what your gifts are. So S, spend time with God. O, observe other gifted Christians. So as a, as a, after I got saved at 18, I would watch. I would watch my dad teach. I would watch him preach. I would sit in these evangelistic um, Bible studies. And there was something while I was doing that, I was just watching and observing. There's something about that that started to stir up this passion to go, you know what, maybe, maybe this is what God's calling me to do. Maybe I should go do something like this. I think that's what Hebrews 10, 24 means when he says, stirring each other up to love and good works. 
So spend time with God, observe other gifted Christians, and then A, ask, ask others what you're good at. So Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So ask wise Christians for advice. And, and, and here's a challenge, specifically to those of you who are maybe a little bit older and maybe you know what your gifts are. Here's a challenge to you. Think, think of one or two individuals this week that you think are gifted and then go tell them that. That, coming from a relatively younger guy, there's nothing that lights a fire in you spiritually speaking, than when an older, wiser Christian comes to you and they say, hey, I see this in you. Don't you want to be a church that encourages? Don't you want to be a church that is known for going, every time I walk in there, I, feel, I just feel like I'm, I'm just built up by the body of Christ. That's the point of all this. That's the point of spiritual gifts at all times. And when you see someone's spiritual gift, go light a spiritual fire in them. Go tell them, I see that, man, you are gifted at serving. You are gifted at teaching. You are gifted in these areas. Go tell them that. And don't just keep that to yourself. You will make someone's week, and you, will, you are making eternal impacts in their life. So ask. Ask others what they're good at. And then the last one, P, practice different areas of gifts. So essentially, you don't know until you go. You just don't know what you're good at unless you actually step out and do something, okay? So the best areas to, to check to see if you're gifted in are just simply looking around at the church and saying, where do I, what, what areas need service? And, and then go fill those gaps. Is it the children? Is it the greeting? Is it, what is it? I'm going to go fill that gap. I'm going to go serve. And maybe you might tap into something that, is going to be revealed to you that, wow, yes, God has gifted me in these areas. So you don't know until you go. S, spend time, observe, ask, and then practice. The bottom line with this is that God is not a liar. You, if you have been saved and you are a Christian, you have a gift. You have a gift. It's a promise from God. It's inside of you. If you don't know what it is, don't freak out. Just, just keep searching. Be faithful in what you're doing, and God will reveal that to you. Secondly, what I want you to see about your gifts is that your gifts are cultivated through biblical teaching. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles and the prophets. That's, I take that to mean, as he says, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.20, they're the foundation of our faith. They are, they are what God used to build up our faith in many ways. We're not going to get into this list. Um, if you're more interested in this, we will be talking about it on the podcast this week, so you can look at it there. But either way, we're going to move on. He gave the apostles and the prophets. He gave the evangelists. And then this is where I really want to focus on this, on this third group right here. He gave the shepherd teachers. And these categories are meant to be pushed together. The shepherds, the, that's another word for that is pastors. Okay, so your pastors are shepherds. And they ought to be shepherd teachers, pastor teachers. And so Paul says he gave the pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So I heard the story about this teacher who made a list of the most important jobs in existence. And so you had the president on there, you, know, you had the prime minister on there, you had, you had doctors on there, and then he threw in pastors, put pastors in the list. And then he told his students, now order those from most important to least important. And all of them are looking at that list going, why did you even put pastors on there? Like, what, what are they doing here? Well, that's not what Paul would think. That's not what Paul would say. I love how, how John, McCar- John Piper, rather, he, he pictures the job of pastors. He says, a pastor's job every Sunday is to go down into a gold mine and just start mining away all week long. He just start mining away, mining away. And then every Sunday morning, he comes up all dirty and scarred up and beaten up, and he just holds up some gold. And he goes, look, congregation, look, saints, look, Christians, look at what I found in the Word of God. Would you believe it? That's what I did earlier when I asked you, would you believe this if you haven't believed this yet? Would you apply this to your life? This is what Paul's saying. This is the job of every pastor And when he is doing that, he is equipping the church. He's unifying the church in faith and in knowledge. He is maturing the church so that they don't believe every crazy teaching they hear on YouTube when they're going down the rabbit hole that night. In Paul's eyes, your pastors have the most crucial job in all the universe. They are on the front lines. Think about this. They are on the front lines of filling the universe with God's glory by maturing the saints, equipping them, unifying them. And we could just spend so much more time because there's so much that Paul's saying here. But let me just make one point right here. Just one. Don't take lightly the weekly gathering of the saints under the teaching of God's word. There is something uniquely miraculous that occurs on Sunday morning when the Word of God is being preached. The miracle of new life happens on Sunday morning when, when God's Word is being preached. Just last year, I'm preaching. I think the message went fine. I get an email right afterwards from a lady who said, you mentioned John 5.25, which says there will be a day when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and they will live. And she said, as soon as I heard that, I was saved. I was saved. Life-altering decisions happen on Sunday morning under the preaching of the Word of God. Again, last year, I'm preaching. I just whimsically decided to, pre- to, 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 to say a verse. I put a verse up on the screen, and, and a young man and his wife looked at each other and said, that did it. We, we're going into full-time Why? Because of the preaching of the Word of God. God uses His Word to do something miraculous on Sunday morning. So so don't take that lightly. And then lastly, your gifts are tools to be used for the church. We ran by this, but I want to look at it again. Look at verse 11 and 12. 
And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. God's plan since the very beginning of time has been to fill the entire universe with his glory, not primarily through pastors on a staff of a church. God's plan to fill his universe with his glory is going to be accomplished primarily through the ordinary saints in the church. You, you think about that. That is, that's a big job. You need to be ready for that. Verse 15, let's end it like this. Verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it is built up and builds itself up in love. I underline these words because Paul is mixing metaphors here. He's mixing church metaphors where he's talking about the church like a body that grows and like a and like a structure or a temple or a building that's being built up. He says almost identically the same thing in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. You can read that on your own. But here's the point. The point, and it is really the point of the of all of your spiritual gifts. Your gifts are tools that were purchased by the blood of Jesus to be used for the building up of God's church. That's the point of your spiritual gifts. And no one praises tools when something is built, but they do throw them away if they don't work. It is an absolute disgrace to the name of the Savior who died for you. He died for you so that you could have these gifts. He died so you could have these gifts to use them. And it is an absolute disgrace to his name if you let your gifts just collect a bunch of dust on the shelf. This is why Paul says in Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace that was given to us, let us use them. Use your gifts. And when you use your gifts, use them in love. Paul wants us to use our gifts in love. This was super convicting when I wrote this down. Hopefully it's convicting to you. You should never be the center of attention when your gifts are being used. You should always be using them to serve others. Always outwardly focused, never inwardly focused. Never be the center of attention. Warren Wearsby said gifts are not toys to play with. They are tools to build with. And when they are not used in love, they become weapons to fight with. So as Paul says, build each other up in love. I'm going to end quickly with this story of uh, John F. Kennedy that encapsulates this whole, this whole message. John F. Kennedy, he, he, he went to NASA um, for, to check out their facilities for the very first time in 1961. And as he was walking, he saw a janitor. And he asked the janitor, he said, hey, what do you do here at NASA? The janitor didn't say, oh, I'll just sweep, I'll just sweep, mop up, take out the trash. He didn't say any of that. He, he looked at the president with a smile on his face, and he said, 
I'm helping put a man on the moon. The janitor gets it. Do you? Do you get what the purpose of your spiritual gifts are? They are given to you to fill the earth with the glory of God. No matter how small or how, how big they are, we are all working to build it, to build God's cathedral, the church. Lord, the job that you've given every single Christian is massive and glorious. So, Father, I just pray that you would open up our eyes to be able to see that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.